Welcome to Entertainment Marketing Confidential, where we discuss all things related to brands and Hollywood. Woo! Woo! I'm your host, Captain. Oh, that spooky motherfucker is Craig. (laughs) Setting a tone. Hi. Hi, Craig. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) And as always, we're joined by Eric, our producer. Hello. Um, I know. I feel like it's been forever. And as you can tell, I'm like extra excited and we're not going to be talking about Tom Cruise's butt. Today, (laughs) we're going to be talking about something else that Craig and I absolutely are extremely passionate about. And I don't mean travel. We're going to be talking about the horror movie genre. Why? We've been doing what we do for a really long time. And every fucking brand does not get the horror genre. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I shouldn't say every brand. A lot of brands. And more importantly, I've had a lot of colleagues and people that I've dealt business with who just look at horror as slasher. And we find this infuriating. So we like to kind of really dive into topics and sort of, you know, peel back the layers and show, no, I, I, I think horror is a genre is misunderstood. So mm-hmm. I'm infuriated, too. You could tell by that voice. Rawr. Um, well, <laughs> horror, you know, I've probably seen 75 million documentaries on horror. I listened to a couple of podcasts. There's no way we are going to do horror completely justice as a genre. And I'm just putting this as kind of a disclaimer. We really can't do the deep dive. I mean, I think it would take, you'd have to take a class, I think, in college. There's so much, the rich history, the filmmaking techniques, the stars. Um, so we're just going to kind of go through the history. Um, and we're going to do a deep dive. We're going to get it. We're going to get shallow dirty. dive. Shallow yeah. dive. Shallow It'll be like a college dive. course. It's going to be like a college course. It's going like, to be like a Jason in the lake kind of dive. It's that deep. No, Maybe the longest podcast. The boat. <laughs> <laughs> I just jumped in my tub dive. Um, yeah. So we're just going to kind of go through some of our favorite films. He's going to give us the history. We'll kind of chime in on probably Tom Cruise somehow. But anyway, yeah. he, he, he and Matt Dillon will show up somewhere and I don't know why. And without further ado. Hey, let's start things off. Let's, uh, let's start talking about Tom Cruise. Daphne? Now, let's let's just get in that horror car of yours and you take us on a magical journey through the history of the horror genre. Uh, couldn't have put it better myself. Cars uh, <laughs> out of gas, so we're walking today. Horror as a as a film genre has been around actually for over a century. Um, and it's it's considered that it could overlap with like fantasy, supernatural fiction, and thriller genres. There are a multitude of subgenres within Porn. horror. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Next step, I'm googling porn you, horror. <laughs> oh, I thought you said porn. I mean, there's some scary. <laughs> oh no! Don't stab uh, me with that big meaty knife. Yeah, we could oh, do a whole me. conversation about corn and horror movies for sure. And corn oh, in the yeah. title. Children yeah. of little children of the corn, children of the cornhole, children yeah. of the squash. <laughs> we are not on drags, but it's I, anyway, yeah. There's there's a lot of subgenres. I'm, I'll name all of them because why Start not? Start at the beginning, Boo. Let's hear it. Well, 
Well, they a lot of them came. Well, they came about at different times, but just to give you guys one? an idea, uh, I don't know. Uh, horror. I read your notes. <laughs> well, well, as a subgenre, I, as a subgenre, I, I guess it was probably supernatural. I mean, the horror horror first started in the 1890s. First depictions of of uh, it was of supernatural stuff, and it was in the 1890s by a French filmmaker. Um, going to butcher his name, uh, George Melly, uh, sure. in several short silent films. People may know him for uh, that short film. Uh, no, no uh, one's going to know him except his family. And it's, several- uh, it's the one where, where, um, where the rocket ship travels to the moon and it lands oh, in the shit. moon's face. Like it was really that? Well, because it wasn't a horror film. It's more of a science fiction. The early depictions were all using special effects, and that's kind of how horror got started. So he he started to do supernatural things um, by finding tricks in the camera uh, to do that. I mean, a lot of a lot of people were doing stuff with skeletons because the X-ray had been invented, uh, I think, in 1895. And it was an American uh, photographer named George Albert Smith, who created a short called the X-Ray Fiend. And that was because of a, a trick he discovered after the X-Ray had been invented to be able to show people uh, or show bones moving around. And so these were sort of the early attempts by, by people to, yeah, to pick um, ghosts what I like about this story, and things like that, which is pretty, pretty interesting. I mean, <laughs> what I found interesting about this is right from the get-go, I mean, right out of the gate the environment or what's going on in someone's life or their reality sets the foundation for and again we're using horror broadly and we're just going to do that so sorry just deal so that's what kind of like he discovered this trick and he's like that's some fucked up shit let's make a movie out of it i kind of like it because to me that really punctuates the art part of this yeah, yeah, and and there was another. Uh, I think it was the same guy, the uh, the French filmmaker, who also he was shooting like a street in Paris and was having problems with his camera, so he was messing around with it. And when he developed the film, like the women had their heads on the men in the shot, and the children looked like the men, and like the horse was like everything got screwed up, but it worked. It was, and so he had discovered another way that he could manipulate the image in the mm-hmm. camera to, you know. Okay. That's a great, great effect as far as sort of looking like ghostly or supernatural. So, yeah, it was a lot of this experimentation early on that that started the horror genre. So Um, when did they start talking? Okay, so we had silent film, so like 1890. Yeah, then the early 1900s, they... You know, there was uh, the first adaptation of a horror novel happened in uh, 1908, and it was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I was just going to ask you, what was that? Yeah, there was a company in the U.S. that uh, that produced that. Um, and then in 1910, Edison Studios in the U.S. produced the first film version of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Oh, so those were two. Um, yeah, those are two. Okay. Two landmark uh, events. I love it. I love it. Unoriginal IPs. Based yeah. on the movie off a book. Come yeah. on, as a, as a graduated film student, I have to at least show oh. off the one thing I remember. And this isn't really horror, but it, it kind of speaks to the visceral effect of film. The Great mm-hmm. Train Robbery. Um, yeah, that was uh, one of the first films that, like, when the train was coming at people, um, they because film was so new, people ran away from this film projector. They <laughs> thought a train was coming at them, and that kind of speaks to the visceral effect of film. That's kind of like those one of the first true fear incident incidences 
Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, people weren't, yeah, they weren't used to seeing that stuff on a screen. And but again, real, and real. <laughs> reality, like that big dose of what's going on around you. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so those were a couple of the, the major, I guess, historical points in horror films in the early 1900s. When you hit the 1920s, uh, German expressionism was a huge movement in film. Keep moving. That sounds boring as hell. It's actually not. It's actually no, no. Phil Major corrected me, going, "Shut up, bitch! It's awesome." Okay, then I'm gonna. (laughs) No, but so so much. So much uh, that influenced so many films and filmmakers after that. Got it. Got it. Got it. So it's like um, like Orson Welles, or like some people who just sort of uh, like Alfred Hitchcock. Like so, a lot of maybe these people got their influence from this German dude. I don't know about. I'll have to read. Well, it it wasn't one German dude. It was a there was a handful of influential filmmakers but yeah i'd say the main films that we should probably at least note would be like the cabinet of dr caligari uh by robert vine <laughs> pronounce it uh which who robert robert e sorry roger ebert actually called that the first true horror film that was in 1920 now you have uh, my attention yeah so it not only was it influential you know internationally it also drew attention to the German cinema industry. Um, so it really sort of boosted oh, them. Really and, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I like but, how that was the first genre that sort of moved an entire film industry into motion. So again, here's yeah. in terms of historical significance, quote unquote, horror, mm-hmm. groundbreaking, opening up industries, legitimate. Okay. Yeah, and it, it was like nothing else that anyone had seen. They used sets like you'd find on a stage, but they were, you know, the perspective was warped and the uh, uh, the makeup of the characters. It was all it was almost like a play in a way, but it was designed so um, uniquely that I think it just resonated with audiences as far as the atmosphere goes. Okay, um, and then you had another film called The Golem. Um, in the same year, 1920, which is another leading example of uh, German expressionism. I actually watched that movie. A week or two ago, it was on a streaming channel that I get and just to see what it was like, because I'd never seen it. And um, it was really interesting because there had never been there was there wasn't a working original print that had survived. What they did was they took elements that were in museums in a few places and they were able to put the film back together. And so you mm-hmm. really got to you get to see it pretty close to probably what the filmmakers intended back then. But again, set design was amazing. Uh, another silent film. And it was actually a prequel to a film from 1915 in that same series. They did, I think, three movies in that series. Mm-hmm. And this is the only one that survived that I to my knowledge, at least in okay. my research. So, and the last one I should mention, though, before we move on, is uh, Nosferatu by F.W. Murnau. Which that is... should have been your opener. <laughs> but I but everyone... Here we were on. Oh, but, you know, save the best for last. because well, Chronologically, it was the last of those three. It was 1922. Oh, shut and up. It was the, it was the first... I believe the first vampire themed film. So again, that is a landmark film that everyone should know. And it was an unauthorized adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I think came out in 1897. So can I, can I bring up one more uh, tell that should be mentioned from 1929? I love it. Oh, sure. well, yeah. 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 Uh, 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 I'm, not, I'm not done with the twenties though. Okay. I thought, okay. 
No, no, but please, please bring it up. Bring just, it up. Yeah, just just Unchian Andalu. I, I don't know if I'm repeating, it, I'm pronouncing that right, but the you would the, never know if you weren't. The scene uh, 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 where they cut the eyeball open. It, it's like oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. No, I, I need to see that. That's good. Yeah, no, I hadn't. I didn't have that in my notes, so that is awesome. I, I think that's probably one of the most uh, influential, disturbing early uh, uh, movies in in cinema because that, that it's just been replicated over and over again um, yeah. by Louis Buñuel and Salvador oh. Dali. Louis, yeah, Buñuel, yeah. Yeah. yeah, amazing. Yes, yeah, that's a great point. That's a great one to bring up. Um, but those those films are. A couple of the major ones from the German Expressionism movement, and then still in the 1920s is where we really start to get into the the history uh, as far as horror goes in Hollywood, where you've got the Universal Classic Monsters, and that began in 1923. What was first, Phantom? Or the opera? Uh, no, actually, Phantom was not. They they began producing these movies with horror and gothic elements at that time. So that was those were the big trends as far as horror goes, uh, using like these gothic elements, like cathedrals and you know scary backdrops. Like the Hunchback of Notre Dame in 1923 was the first one of those. Wasn't that? Yes, it is uh-huh. by Victor, Victor Hugo, and that was published in 1833. So it was almost a hundred oh, wow. years after that that the. Uh, they adapted it for the big screen. Hmm. Uh, and this movie was uh, starred Lon Chaney, who people mm. may know him as the man of a thousand faces because he wore makeup in almost every film and transformed himself to fit every role. He was in a documentary uh, I watched this weekend and they were in a museum. And they had this makeup kit and they were showing just sort of, you know, just how he, yeah, how he did some of those what makeup techniques or whatnot. I mean, it's pretty yeah. Did it himself. Yeah, that's right. He did it, right? He did his own makeup, which is great. Um, but 1923, so that started the Universal Classic Monsters with Hunchback of Notre Dame. And then two years later, The Phantom of the Opera starring Lon Chaney as well. Got it. And that's also based um, on the novel. They still have the set of the Opera House, and they think it's haunted by him. Oh. Yeah. If you haven't seen that movie, that is definitely one to see. The uh, It's silent, but the, the score is amazing, and the visuals are still stunning to this day, in my opinion. Um, and then the last one I'd say for the universal ones would be The Cat and the Canary, which was 1927. Wait, so hold on. Before we leave Universal, I mean, mm-hmm. are we going to... Well, that is still universal, but yeah. No, but when was Dracula? When was Frankenstein? They weren't until the 30s, 1930s. Because I think right here, we do have to kind of take a little side beat to talk about Universal. Mm -hmm. Um, It's interesting, you know, he'll dive more to Carl Limley Jr. But looking back through this, I mean, Universal has made some of the most fucked up shit ever that scared the shit out of me. Like, like we talk about Dracula, we'll get into Frankenstein, like the scene with the girl. So we'll dive deeper in that in the 30s. But to get ahead of ourselves. I mean, then they continue on with Psycho. And I ain't going to lie. King Kong in the 70s scared the shit out of me. And then, I'm sorry, Jaws. We'll dive into that. (laughs) But right up to Jurassic Park. And that's completely like the great train robbery. I thought that fucking dinosaur is coming to get me. And I literally laid on the floor and cried. Because that seemed like a good idea. And I have literally like frozen in a towards or us because the giant t-rex moved and i started crying i'm a grown-ass adult i hate that thing so you know universal really kicked it off and i think they really perfected it like i love that they still kind of stay there 
Did yeah. Universal do the Freddy and Jason movies? Is that uh, uh, New Line? I think did the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Yeah. Gotcha. And Paramount. Paramount did, did Fire and Thirteenth, didn't they? Uh, uh, I just remember. I remember, those. I remember right. going off track. So we know Universal started it. <laughs> I remember going to a theater when I was nine and seeing Freddy versus Jason, and from that moment on, I get panic attacks watching horror films. Oh. Hey, I so what was all for unveiling what I saw in the theater at four? We'll get to that. Wow. Uh, I'm sorry, so continue. I guess so going into the 30s? Well, yeah, I, just to well, to finish that point on the, the cat and the canary, because since that was part of the original Universal classic monsters, it I never was, heard uh, of it. What was the... I know. You know what? I hadn't either. It was the third in that series and considered mm-hmm. the cornerstone of Universal School of Horror. Amazing. It was adapted from a black comedy play. What the hell was it about? Well, it revolves around a man who dies in the reading of his will 20 years later. His family inherits his fortune, but they, when they spend the night in a, his haunted oh mansion, <laughs> they're stalked by a mysterious figure, and there's also a lunatic known as the cat that escapes from an asylum and hides in the mansion. So Actually, That's a plot that's been done. I guess, was that the first one that did the, oh, you have to stay in my creepy house to get my... Yeah, possibly, yeah. And, and actually... Alfred Hitchcock cited that film as one of his influences. So, Amazing. Another, yeah. Okay. So that was 1927. Okay. And um, I guess the what I found was the trend of adding an element of macabre into uh, American pre-horror melodramas was popular in the 20s. And um, so a few directors known for that were Maurice Torn- Torner, I'm butchering that, Rex Ingram and Todd Browning, who did Dracula in um 1931 the pattern i see with the 20s and then what you're going to go into in the 30s it seems like mm-hmm. like human oddities people on the fringe mm-hmm. yeah a lot of a lot of adaptations too to this point not a ton of original stuff um but one more thing in the 20s i should note is in 1928 the terror by warner brothers was the first all talking horror film oh and it was made using the Vitaphone sound on disc system. Um, it tells the story of guests being stalked by a mysterious killer known as the Terror at an English manor. So, again, you've got another single location where all your characters are, are at or stuck at, and they're stalked by some, yeah, some <laughs> scary person, which we've obviously seen countless times. 75,000 times, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting that those kind of uh, concepts – were there at the very beginning and uh, have just been used in over and over again. I should also note on that film that the audience reaction and the reviews for it were terrible. Uh, <laughs> the sound was not very good. And I guess the movie was not very scary. So, um, but it was, the first, yeah. it was the first horror film with sound. So that's a, definitely something to, to know. It reminds me of the, uh, is it the, the something Cavalier from uh, singing in the rain? <laughs> That when before it became the Dancing Cavalier, like when they first try and do that French Revolutionary film, the sounds off and you hear the pearls clanking around. And oh, I don't know that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, you're talking about. Like the Hong, it's like the Hong Kong Cavaliers from uh, Buckaroo Banzai. Cleveland no? Cavaliers. Um, okay. I'm sorry. So, into the 30s, my yes, 1930s Universal Classic Monsters, and Woo-hoo. it was in this decade that the studio established some of the most iconic monsters in film history. That includes Dracula, Frankenstein, the Mummy, the Invisible Man, and the Wolf Man. All in this decade. Oh okay, I, I, I have a, I have a, I have a question. Uh, hopefully, you can answer. Um, I can't. Horror, horror in the modern age is known as a cheap 
Uh, uh, it's known as one of the cheaper ways. Well, hold on. It's known as one. It will cover that for the eighties and nineties. Okay. Well, I was going to ask because nineteen thirties, Great Depression. Um, yeah. Was horror cheap to make back then, and is that why yeah. a lot of studios did it? Oh yeah. Um, I th- I mean I think it was fairly inexpensive, given that so one, far the stories yeah. were taking place in limited number of locations. Yeah. Which, sure. You know, so I mean, there was a lot of stuff on set. I imagine. In fact, there's a story I read I'll talk about with Dracula in just a moment that I think also adds to that that idea. Um, but yeah, the Great Depression, you're right. I mean, but unlike today during this pandemic, you know, and the, our economy is suffering a bit, the theaters were open back then. So people mm. flocked to them. It was an escape, you know, and today we we have to escape in our own apartments and houses with streaming they I could actually get to the theater and you know they're get fun. Away from the stuff. whole idea of my god we could do like how many podcasts on the psychology of this like you know <laughs> if you confront this kind of unrealistic terror it helps you process whatever nonsense i shouldn't say nonsense whatever you're struggling with in your real life so that was super interesting so that was what year well, this this is the 30s. Um, if I touch on chronologically here, uh, this is just universal stuff. Um, the Cat Creeps in 1930. That was a sound remake of The Cat and the Canary from three years earlier. Oh. Unfortunately, that's considered a lost film. So there are no known uh, living prints of it Wait, anymore. The one in my closet I should just send you? <laughs> yes, please. Uh, send it by courier, though. Don't, don't send a regular mail. Um, so 1931 in February was the release of Dracula, the one that everyone knows with Bela Lugosi, Todd Browning, who I mentioned a little while ago was the director of that film. Uh, the interesting thing about this movie, besides it, you know, becoming such an iconic film and Lugosi, you know, creating that iconic look uh, that everyone remembers of Dracula is that three months, well, two months later in April that year, Universal released the Spanish language version of Dracula with different actors. However, it was shot on the same set and that was shot at nighttime. They shot Dracula in the day and the Spanish filmmakers would watch the dailies apparently. And they would come up with even better lighting techniques and camera angles and shoot their footage at night on the same sets. So I I haven't watched them back to back yet, but I'm going to, I want to see the differences in uh, shooting. Some people actually consider the Spanish language version to be uh, superior to the English without seeing it. I'd have to agree with that because I think there's something about shooting it at night. Mm-hmm. You can shoot at day and tint the film. I think it's a different look. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, and I guess Eric, that may go to your question about budget because if they're shooting on the same sets, it's it's not going to cost them anything to do that except their time and, and the crew. Yeah. And let's be honest: if you look at the Universal backlot, that one little section on the tram tour after the Red Sea parts is kind of like Europe. I mean, you know, Beverly Hills 90210 shot there. But a lot of those films just kept reusing mm-hmm. Universal. So, yeah. So, I mean, then that was so that was two Dracula films within two months of each other releasing. And then that same year, November, is when they released Frankenstein. And wow. that was a massive wow. success. Um, much better. And, it's much scarier. I think it was just yeah, it's it's a better movie. Well, it's, you know, just. It's a different film, different feel. Yeah. I mean, Boris Karloff, I played the monster in that. And so you've right there, you've got two of the most iconic actors in horror film history releasing films from the same studio in the same year. And 
the next year, 1932, is when The Mummy was released with Boris Karloff as well. That spawned sequels and remakes over decades after that. Um, so, I mean, 1931 and 32 were two major, major years for the studio. You I, follow that up with 1933, The Invisible Man. I mean, they were just knocking him out of the park. Can I just add a fun fact for sure. people who may not know this? Wait, um, is, it, is it fun or is it like really fun? Because if it's, it's really fun, fun, I think we can do it. Fun fact. Okay. Bella Lugosi is buried next to our office at Holy Cross Cemetery. Oh, no. I didn't know that. buried in a Dracula costume. Really? Awesome. <laughs> I think that's pretty fucking badass. And by yeah. the way, was that in a uh, cemetery? Like the people buried there and then the grotto is just the who's who of Hollywood. Didn't huh. they show that in uh, Ed Wood when uh, Martin Landau, when he died, they showed him being buried in his cape. But did they shoot that at the same cemetery? Hmm. I don't know. I don't remember. Oh, it's a good movie. I'll have to watch that again. Um, anyway, I love that the idea that, that there's a skeleton in a Dracula costume, like just right outside our office. Well, yep. Well, <laughs> gotta make you feel comfortable. When we have the zombie apocalypse, I had two thoughts. Why I like this location is the cemeteries on hills. So the zombies will run downhill and go past us. Mm. And I thought it'd somehow help us if we recognize a lot of them, like John Candy. Um, no, I look up Holy Cross Cemetery. The people are buried there. And that's partially why my dad's there. Cause I'm like, let's get one on our side. Well, why would it help to recognize them? Just so you I don't know. know, like maybe we could plan a better strategy against them. Like, Hey, wait, wait, are the zombies, are, are these dead people coming up from the graves or is it like a viral zombie apocalypse? Cause I right now through the graves. Okay. And I feel like, why would we choose? Because if we had to have a zombie podcast, we have to look at the 80s. Because if you cremate people or people come out of the ground and then rain gets them, it kind of lands on people. And then you get the viral effect. So I feel like you don't have to choose. I think mm. you get zombies every which way. Hmm. Well, I like the, yeah. <laughs> I like the idea, but that like a, a zombie is, yeah, they, they're in the graves, but then they're trapped in their coffins. <laughs> you just hear banging. was like, sorry, you're six feet oh, underground. How are you going to get out? <laughs> When we talk about the nun, um, continue with the thirties. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. We're, I'm just going to take us back about, you know, 90 years here. So, so 1933, 1933 was another big year for universal. The invisible man came out. Claude Rains played the, uh, the lead role. He's of course an amazing actor. Um, and, uh, that film was known for its groundbreaking visual effects. So again, Horror and visual effects went hand in hand from the very beginning. Uh, and a fun little note on the product side of things is Bass Ale actually received exposure in that movie. So one of the earlier examples of product placement in a movie back to 1933. So that was in a pub. Yeah, it was in a pub. So it made total sense. It was organic. didn't stand out at all. Um, a couple other things in the 30s before we wrapped up that decade. Uh, the next year, 1934, Universal released another successful, this time psychological horror film called The Black Cat. And that starred both Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff. First time that had happened with those two actors in the same project. Uh, in 1935, they released The Bride of Frankenstein, um, which many critics considered a better film than the original. Oh, yeah. Um, the documentary I watched where they, you know, talked a little bit about Carl Emily Jr. and sort of his support for a lot of these. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. it's interesting. Like, they're saying, but also you got to think, 
movie one was one thing. Movie two, even when we were talking about Dracula and you had the Spanish team coming in with each film, you yeah. learn and adjust. So I love when sequels get better versus just mailing it in and being cheesy. So the fact yeah. that like, the, you know, Frankenstein ones, each reminds me of Tom Cruise, like each one sort of brought more to the table, raised the game, improved techniques of filmmaking, better story. Yeah, um, I, I think that's interesting too. And I don't know, Eric, correct me if I'm wrong, but I find that more common in the video game world where sequels mm-hmm. tend to improve on the originals, whereas in films, it seems to be more of a rarity, at least in the modern, yeah. modern yeah. era. I, agreed. Like, I was just trying to think of uh, sequels that are better than the, the first movies, and, and they're two. few and far between. Godfather 2. Like, there's yeah. literally a handful. I mean, Empire Strikes Back, I don't know if you consider a sequel. It's, you know, yeah, yeah. Story. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen as often. It's more of a feels like more of a passion instead of actually developing something that usually. Let's just talk about Universal again with Jaws. I mean, by the time you get to Jaws four and three, it's like good. I literally didn't know there was more than one Jaws until this very moment. (laughs) Should we give you a a few minutes to adjust, Eric? (laughs) Maybe there's a Jaws four. It's It's quite the revelation. Yeah. we'll just toss out whatever garbage and then people will still see it. And we see that a lot when we get into like, when you look at the trajectory of the horror genre, it's amazing, innovative, scary, and cool. And then it kind of becomes not a joke, but sort of a joke. And then it reboots again in the 1990s. So that idea of we're just going to throw 10 bucks at this. Um, Now, if you look at paranormal activity, that was like 15000 That was worth its weight in Gold and Blair Witch. Mm-hmm. So you don't need a lot of money to make horror. But yeah. once you have a good franchise, respect the franchise. Don't make the yeah. movie until you have another story to tell. And again, we could go for two years talking about the Halloween movies and different reboots and breathing life back into that franchise. And Oh, my God. Like Jason. They, they made a Jason movie where he was in space. Like, <laughs> I remember that. But then how they bring it back. In, you know, in present day and did another Halloween as if the other movies didn't happen. So mm-hmm. I think when you really protect a story and you really have something new to say, and I know the mummies like from the first mummy, the second, you know, I'm sorry, Frankenstein and then into the bride of, you know, there was, it wasn't the smoothest stories, but the movies did get better, but let's be honest, filmmaking in the thirties wasn't the smoothest process, you yeah. know? So, all right, so we'll just let you keep rolling to the 30s, you know. All right, well, yeah, just a few yeah. other notes of the 30s. Uh, so 1936, Universal released a sequel to Dracula, so it was five years after the first film, called Dracula's Daughter. <laughs> uh, and then a, a few other studios started to follow Universal's lead in that decade, which is also notable. So you had MGM released a film called Freaks in 1932, directed by Todd Browning, who also did the original Dracula that movie was banned in a number of countries for a long time, and it featured people with actual deformities mm. uh, in the movie. It's I actually think it's a great film. Um, it's kind of a revenge tale. I don't know if you've seen it, Eric, but no, uh-uh. it's really cool. Yeah. Um, so that came out, and I believe Todd Browning used to work in a carnival, and that's sort of how he came up with the idea for this movie. Hmm. Um, and also, from what I remember, it almost killed his career because it was not a big hit at the box office at that uh, well, time. But again, commodities. 
What was the what was the movie that um and I'm sure this was like a later movie, but it sounds like it was inspired, but it was like the one of us, one of us scoop. That's freaks. That's, that's freaks. freaks. Okay. Yeah. That's a very song they do in the movie yeah yeah that's a very famous like that's also been like redone and redone over and over yeah yeah it's 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 definitely worth watching um uh, the other two films i just wanted to touch on were paramount released uh dr jekyll and mr hyde in 1931 and then rko released the original king kong in 1933 Hmm. so yeah those are obviously landmark films all of them um and then yeah so moving into the 40s uh Universal continued to release horror uh, films, suspense films, and science fiction films. Um, the Wolfman came out in 41, The Ghost of Frankenstein in 42, Mummy's Tomb in 42, and then The Mummy's Ghost and The Mummy's Curse in 1944. Uh, Paramount made horror films in the 40s. They were The other studios were getting involved. The most uh, well-known of those for Paramount was probably The Uninvited in 1944, and... MGM's best contribution in horror in that decade was the picture of Dorian Gray. In oh, yeah. um, one another note about films in the horror films in the 40s was that low budget B horror movies were now becoming popular, mm. um, especially from uh, the studio RKO. They uh, they did a lot of uh, I want to say they did some Edgar Allan Poe short stories maybe wrong on that i might be too early but like uh cat people i walked with a zombie the leopard man those are films from that era that uh were more low budget horror films and actually one that i noted was called the queen of spades which came out in 1949 and both wes anderson and martin scorsese cited that movie as a significant film in the genre as well as Hmm. in british cinema interesting yeah i hadn't heard of that one before so pretty interesting Um, yeah. And then the fifties, the tone of horror films shifted in this decade from the Gothic towards more contemporary, uh, and a major popular subgenre started during this time. And that was the doomsday film Mm. Uh, that included, you know, humanity overcoming threats like alien invasions or deadly mutations. Um, you know, yeah, exactly. I remember seeing them. Did you ever see them about the giant ants? I remember watching that as a kid, and being so freaked out. And and uh, this is this is because of World War Two, right? Like everyone was, it was on their minds that the world could end. Yeah, the nuclear fallout. Yeah, that sure. sort of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, reflect life. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some, some of the notable films that you've probably heard of would be like The Creature from the Black Lagoon in 1954, mm. The Blob in 1958. One of my favorites is Invasion of the Body Snatchers in 1954. Mm. Mm-hmm. Just amazing. Such a great film. The shot condition uh, in those. It's just, bleh. that one's creepy. Yeah, I know. In the House of Wax in 53 with Vincent Price. Oh. Uh, also, House on Haunted Hill with Vincent Price in 59. And also with Vincent Price, The Fly in 1958. He, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was, uh, he was a, a big name. Yeah. Yeah. I should note also that in 54, Godzilla came out of Japan. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Amazing. That was huge. And then um, also the UK during this time emerged as a major producer of horror films with the Hammer Company leading the way. And they remade numerous Dracula and Frankenstein films and became internationally successful. Um, 
Yeah, and they were showing those iconic Universal characters in color for the first time. So it wasn't Universal that did that. It was Hammer over in the UK that was doing that. Um, Christopher Lee started in a lot of those Hammer films, and he became a international superstar. Um, I say Dracula was probably his most well known of those roles. I think he added sort of that seductive element to the character hmm. that hadn't been there before. And then also in the television side is the Twilight Zone started in the late 50s. Oh, sure. It was more science fiction probably, but there were several episodes that, you know, touched on horror and fantasy. Yeah, already. I mean, and, and, you know, I mean, existential horror. Like, oh, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean even if it was. Yeah, you name yeah. it. Yeah. Still, I think still is a fascinating show even today. It's oh, still yeah. So well. Um, for sure, for sure. I mean, I, I, there are not very many films, uh, not very many television shows. Probably that. And when did I Love Lucy come out? Was that fifties, sixties? I think it was the fifties, right? Dad? That was fifty. Yeah. It, it, I mean, I Love Lucy and Twilight Zone might be the only two shows I can even think of that still like are played today. Yeah, and Mister Ed probably. Mister Ed, yeah. R fifty four. Which one? <laughs> I'm sorry. Continue to the '60s. Sorry. Okay. No, that's it. I'm done. That's all the research. I uh, yeah, the '60s. Okay, so the '60s. Um, 1960s. Okay, so the 1960, the year 1960, saw the release of two pivotal films in the horror genre. Um, from what I I found, uh, the first one was Peeping Tom by Michael mm-hmm. Powell, and that was considered the basis for the slasher film. Oh, yeah, and Psycho by Alfred Hitchcock. Huh. Who yeah. They, you know, everyone. Go Universal. He, he pioneered the art of psychological suspense. He was known hmm. as the master of suspense. So those two films came out in 1960 and made their mark on on filmmaking in this genre um france released a film in 1960 called uh, eyes without a face that continued that mad scientist sort of theme um italian horror films started to become very popular uh with filmmakers like mario bava um and then the united states uh, started to use gimmicks to get audiences into movie theaters Not uh, the king of the film gimmick uh was a man named william castle and he released films like uh, 13 Ghosts in 1960 in Illusion O, which is where audience were, audiences were given a supernatural viewer that they could wear to see hidden ghosts in the film. And he released one called Mr. Sardonicus in 61 and introduced a punishment poll where the audience decides what happens to Mr. Sardonicus in the film. Oh. And also in... Um, 1961, he released a film called Homicidal, which follows a woman in a small California town. And audiences who are too frightened to see the end of the film are given 25 seconds to leave the theater and go into this place called the Coward's Corner in the lobby where they could get a full refund and a free blood pressure test. <laughs> so, yeah, they were, they were using these, uh, these little yeah, gimmicks to try to get people in the theater and make it more of an exciting, immersive experience. And um, I don't know if either two of you have seen it, but the film Matinee with John Goodman, it came mm-hmm. out in 1992, was based on this guy, William Castle. That's who John Goodman, he played a similar character in that movie. It's a great film. It's set against the Cuban Missile Crisis in Florida. It's, uh, it's really cool to see. Um, um, I feel, you know, with horror, you know, a lot of gimmicks, I think, well, depends on which subgenre we're talking about, but I think good suspense 
where you tap into those childhood fears, you know, or just kind of like, you know, the dark, being alone, strangers, dolls, confined spaces. Like you think then the society fears, doomsday, et cetera. You don't need gimmicks if you tell a good story. Yeah, I I agree. I, I think this was done well. I mean, he was a sort of a showman. He was a showman and he wanted to stand, you know, stand up. He wanted yeah. to you know, be noticed among the crowd of yeah films that were coming out. And that's sort of, you know, yeah. how you position your film. So I like it. Again, yeah. you know, you know try not to, you know, repeat the same thing. Change the formula. Give something yeah. to the audience. So I, I, I dig it. Yeah, and, um, I, I just we'd be remiss if we didn't just mention like you mentioned uh, Psycho, but like uh, 50s and 60s was like the the Alfred Hitchcock era. That was Rear Window, Vertigo, yeah. The Birds, Psycho. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there, there's a ton of stuff I'm not talking about, but feel free to jump in. I'm just trying to touch on some of the important trends or landmark films that I, I found. But, yeah, there's a lot more out there that I. I, I didn't touch like, on so. If you were a horror movie podcast, then we could do it justice. We're just doing what we can to kind of. Yeah, we're failing yeah. miserably. Okay. I just well, I'm just I'm just jumping like Hitchcock. Like is probably the. I, I don't know. I think we I should go do. back to the to the early 30s for Hitchcock. I mean, yeah, yeah he's <laughs> he's done amazing work. Um, but yeah, I you know you're right. The birds I should have mentioned in there for sure. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, there's so much out there and it's kind of, you know, if there's anyone from a brand listening to this, it's just kind of, let's give you, it's like a compilation. I can't even talk. Um, <laughs> series of tidbits strung together to give people an over. Bards. It's the Bards. <laughs> DeBarge. That's an 80s band. Um, the Bards. <laughs> the <psycho. laughs> um, We're all about pronunciation. I mean, it's, it's innovative filmmaking. It's, creative marketing techniques it's not just let's cut this bitch up like it's it's so misunderstood as a genre and actually isn't that a direct quote from hitchcock uh that bitch up, let's cut this bitch yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. it sounds better in a with a british accent <laughs> oh there's no story it's just slashing or how they treat women and blah 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 i mean again valid points but no, like when you look at it as a whole and that's all it's like if we could pique someone's interest or have them dig up one of these films or research something, we've done our job. Like yeah. tell them they haven't known and then sort of going back to that brand space and just really, really, really once again punctuating just because something's horror doesn't mean you should stay away from it. And no, then, and I, I think that and I think one of the reasons that we wanted to touch on the history of the horror genre is because it has been around so long and it has connected with audiences ever since the beginning. So exactly. and as scary as they may be, um, audiences connect with them. They, they want to see these type of stories. And, and they're directed and acted in by some of the best talents of the, exactly. the 20th century. In yeah. fact, I was just going to touch on another one okay. who uh, made his feature debut in 1963 was Francis Ford Coppola with Dementia yeah. 13, which is a horror film. Uh-huh. And then you had uh, another studio, American Outsiders uh, with Matt Dillon. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Matt Damon did a screen test, I think, but he didn't get the role. OK, but OK, but hold on. Hold on. The worst horror, the worst horror of the scariest horror movie ever with another Matt, Matt, uh, Matt Wahlberg. Wait, is that his name? Wait, am no. I? I no, not him. <laughs> um, the what is the scariest horror film that was never made? <laughs> <laughs> that I imagined one night. 
All right, let's hear it. Mark Wahlberg, uh, fuck, I am so tired. Are you going <laughs> to talk about beer? It's with Spoon, and he's cutting around this part. Boyfriend, creepy stalker boyfriend guy on the roller coaster. Fear. That was fear. Yeah, sticking his finger in her hoo ha. That one. Okay. I cleaned it up. I I know. I guess I never saw it, but (laughs) too scary. Go back to the. Into the seventies. Yeah, so a couple. Sorry, a couple more notes on the sixties. Uh, there was another studio that emerged during this time, American International Pictures, and they made a series of films based on stories by Edgar Allan Poe, most of which starred Vincent Price. I know The Raven was wow. one of those. Um, the British horror film The Haunting in '63 from Robert Wise, considered by many critics to be one of the scariest movies of all time. And that was remade in the late 90s, I believe 1999, with uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Owen Wilson, Liam Neeson, and I want to say Lily Taylor, but I could be wrong. Uh, Anyway, 1968, major year in horror films. The Night of the Living Dead was released by Nero. And not only was it immensely successful, but it is considered to be the first true zombie movie combining... Hmm psychological insights with gore also there was obviously a, a commentary on society at that time well, uh, let's just but, start out with the scene opening movie oh, the cemetery thank you i'm so good people on a story adventure here and <laughs> not an adventure story completely harmless you're in a cemetery and you're hanging out with your brother and i ain't gonna lie a slow moving zombie coming at you. First of all, outrun it, get in your car. And if I ever see anybody walking slow, I run. And but that's they didn't know what that was. They'd never seen one I before. Know. Like if you watch Fear of the Walking Dead, you kind of see when you haven't experienced that before how you respond to it. But that creepy motherfucker, like he's creeping in the background, and then all of a sudden he's like 20 feet closer, 20 mm-hmm. feet closer. And then she's like doing the hands in the pockets, do, 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 do. He's in my face. I'm going to ignore him. That's nah, great. Yeah. I mean, it's, what I also liked about that opening was it was in the daytime and it was so scary even in the daytime, right? Um, so that was obviously a landmark film in the horror genre. Also in that same year, Rosemary's Baby was released. Oh, okay. Another now, another landmark film. Yeah, here comes the devil and mm-hmm. Satan and all that freaky supernatural shit because I think that kind of, you know, late 60s, you know, going into early 70s. Yeah. Um, two more. Well, one more quick note, I'd say, before we move on, because I, I do want to touch on this, though. In the 60s, uh, low budget splatter films became popular during this decade. Hmm. Um, two notable films were 2000 Maniacs in 1964 and Color Me Blood Red in 65. Wow. And those, those were considered to be the precursors to torture porn films that would become popular (laughs) yeah so so yeah so it was it it was an interesting decade for sure you had some some landmark films but they were they were different from each other and you had those gimmicks and everything so um now is is this now is this the turning point where brands would want to shy away like the torture porn kind of horror movies where they're like no this is bad we don't want to be associated because everything up to this hasn't seemed so i have to say like when you get into that early slasher, I, I kept going through and maybe, okay. Now I would say, you know, maybe it's so obvious I missed it, but going back, I didn't see any brands that jumped out at me. Well, the, I think a lot of that was because of the settings. I mean, these were, you know, Gothic films or they were films mm. set in a, you no, know, 
different time and place. I mean, in, but touching on it in the seventies is that's when that's horror films started moving into the classic era. Uh, sorry, the modern era. So mm-hmm. you're okay. That's the thing. Like if it's period, you're not going to see as much. But yeah. That's what we noticed with that late sixties going into the seventies. Everything mm-hmm. made a quantum leap into present day. Yeah, exactly. And so, it yeah, and so the setting became your everyday setting, which also yeah. made it more scary. But gotcha. also, not a ton of brands. And it, I, I don't know if it's because maybe with something like, like when we talk about, like, say, the Omer or the Exorcist, maybe it would take away from the story. And as we say, we don't ever want a brand to stop the storytelling. And maybe yeah. it was a bit more disruptive then. I don't know. I couldn't find too much information about it, but... Yeah, I mean, it just depends. I think it just depends on the story. You know, I mean, you you would have real brands in a house, but it, how how many scenes do you have with a family doing something normal in a house, as whereas opposed to you know being haunted by something or trying to get away from something? So, I think it would just depend on the the scene, the scenes in the film, to if they would lend themselves to that. To be um, fair, um, looking at the history of let's say product placement, it's not. I don't think product placement really hit its stride until the eighties. I mean, there's always kind of yeah. there, but I think in terms of really, you know, and I, that's why I think a lot of the, it just wasn't quite a thing yet. Mm, you know? no, I agree. It's, I agree with that. All right. So um, go to the seventies. So yeah. Seventies and eighties. Um, the seventies, the it was, uh, yeah. So the, the, it was a new age for horror films. Yeah, we moved mostly from classic to modern settings. Um, they started to focus more on societal themes. Um, and the decade was largely dominated by American filmmakers. Uh, hmm. And this was also the period when good did not always triumph over evil. Or if it did triumph over evil, it was usually it, a lot tougher to do so. so oh, and um, then it came back in the last scene and ate you. No, it won. Yeah. won. Evil won. Evil won. Yeah. And <laughs> the uh, the occult was a popular theme, as we touched on. You've got movies like The Omen in 76, The Wicker Man in 73, and The Exorcist in 73. Oh. Um, the ideas of the 60s influenced films in this era uh, as like uh, youth in the counterculture began to experiment in the medium. Wes Craven, uh, yeah. he did Last House on the Left in 72. He did The Hills Have Eyes in 77. Amazing. Toby Hooper. Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 74. That, I mean, Leatherface. I mean, that is just. George Romero released Dawn of the Dead, which was a. Uh, Unreal. You know, part of his, his uh, Undead trilogy in 78. Uh, I think it's a trilogy. I could be wrong there. And then comedy horror uh, returned with films like Young Frankenstein and the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. Uh, the American Werewolf in London came out in 81. That's also had lots of elements of humor. Uh, you just went to the 80s. We are not done with the 70s. I said 70s and 80s, so they're, they're sort of lumped together here. We need to pause. <laughs> Daphne uh, Planet. Oh, oh. Daphne Planet? Yeah, Daphne Bless the Planet, early 70s. And i just like to toss out some gems I saw in the theater. And in case you're all wondering why I am fucked up, here we go. <laughs> Trilogy of Terror. I was four, but that was on TV. Hmm. Um, I saw Jaws in the theater. And I just like to have, to, I, I can't have a conversation without talking about Jaws. To this day, absolutely one of my favorite films. I know it's one of Craig's. In fact, I got him a Jaws puzzle for his birthday. Um, and we joke about product placement. You put on Jaws, I go to sleep. It's like a warm hug. <laughs> 
Um, but well, when scared we the talking, crap out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, but you think I saw that in the theater? And what was interesting is when we were talking about that French horse screw up <laughs> earlier, um, how the mistakes added to the story. I think the mistakes with the shark and then the editor they brought in and how they fixed it. I mean, this movie's great. The score, suspense, it really all comes together. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw Halloween and when a stranger calls and going back to comedy horror that really helped me just fall in love with vampire movies is love at first bite with George Hamilton. Mm. I love that movie. It's really funny. Like his issues with being a bat and whatever. So I learned early on, Horror can be fun. And I think either you're programmed to like this shit or you're not. Like my older daughter, no, nope, nope. But I'm that, I'm that kind as well. Like, it, like when I watch a horror movie, it just triggers anxiety in me and it is not an enjoyable experience. Like, I have, if it's a core, if it's a, a comedy horror and I can remove myself on that. Uh, I'm fine, but if it's like a slash or, or or like a like a just if there's people dying, I'm just yeah. like, oh my you're, god, you're out. Like, yeah. baby, absolutely not. The younger one loves them. And by the way, in this time frame, when did Alien come out? 1979. There we go. I was, was so, going to touch on that too. Yeah. Oh, but you're already into 81 with some. <laughs> I was. They're lumped together. I was coming back to the 70s. I wasn't but done with that. Decade. My daughter who hates, let's say, slasher and say some thrillers, she loves Alien, the Alien movies. So I think there's, you know, if it's smart thriller, smart suspense, you're going to find an audience. And I do think there's a quote unquote horror movie for everybody. Yeah, for sure. You, you don't like slasher. All right. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the 80s. Well, I wasn't done quite done with the seventies. There's a couple of other- <laughs> you are not following chronological order. That stresses me out. That I don't is any of us are. I don't think any of us are. <laughs> You're talking about paranormal activity in the thirties, so we're going, we're jumping back and forth. <laughs> yeah, you got us there. Cheap budgets. Um, uh, again, in the seventies, uh, this is also the period of time when the works of Stephen King began to be adapted. Oh, okay. So you had Carrie in 1976. I'm going to jump ahead four years and say The Shining in 1980. And then I'm going to jump back a year and I'm going to say, <laughs> not talking about Stephen King, but the Amityville horror was a big supernatural horror. Uh, when was um when was it adapted for the, the for television? When was that 1990. Done? Oh, that was in the 90s. Okay. Yeah. What was Cujo? Uh, I thought it was older. Cujo, I think, was 83. Uh, okay. And Cujo, I watched yesterday and <laughs> d wallace like rolls out of the car with a six pack of coke <laughs> nice. i'm like nice. what so anyway um yeah and you know so yeah there were there were a lot of influential films in that uh that decade well, friday the goes. that was 1980 yeah and then we um, the fog which yeah uh, one, one uh, other thing if i could mention about 70s that was a slasher films uh, there was a cycle of slasher films that began in the 70s and that carried over into the 80s. We've talked about some of those, but Halloween was probably the most notable oh, yeah. sure. of those. And also... Friday the 13th going to argue yeah. that, but absolutely. But Hall- Halloween is still considered one of the most successful independent films of all time. It was made yeah. with very little money and grossed you know, tens of millions of dollars at the box office. Um, the world was introduced to Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, great yeah. documentary about... Yeah. Halloween, the franchise. Really good. I watched this weekend. And it's um, on YouTube, I think. Oh, okay. Or okay. Amazon Prime, because I know how you relate to yeah. it. Um, right. So, yeah, and we touched on Alien in 79. Um, 
you know, that was another critical and commercial success. Ridley Scott brought us that one, of course. And then the eighties, they saw a wave. There was a wave of gory B movies in the horror genre. Um, yeah, you had the Friday the 13th film series starting in 1980. Wes Craven again did nightmare on Elm street in 84. Uh, Clive Barker, uh, made Hellraiser in 87. Oh, yeah. The mm-hmm. Evil Dead was an independent horror film by Sam uh, Raimi. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you had uh, an Evil Dead 2 had a sequel in 87, and then Day of the Dead by George Romero in 85. Mm-hmm. Uh, vampire horror became very popular in the 80s. Daphne, can you name a few of your favorite vampire films in the 80s? <laughs> I really just have to go with Fright Night and Lost Boys. Yeah, two, two <laughs> great ones. Two great yeah. ones. I'll mention like, Near Dark as well because I like Near Dark. That was another oh, yeah. and Catherine Bigelow's first direct directorial that's right. debut. In, debut. in this time frame, there were two compilation movies that came out. Um, one you take called- <laughs> Math is scary, folks. Math is scary. Um, 1982, a movie came out. It came from Hollywood, which kind of took, it was like Gilda Radner, Dan Aykroyd, and they took all these crazy ass, like sci fi B movies, B horror, and just kind of put them together in a really fun way. Cheech and Chong, it's really funny. It's kind of like a precursor to Mystery Science Theater, and the voiceovers and the stuff they do app to this day, I don't know why, it kills me. And then the other one, um, did we talk about Poltergeist? Sorry, I went off track. No, no, I don't think so. We're still, yeah, talking about the 80s. So. Uh, yeah, in 1984, there's... So I managed to come across these films that kind of touched upon a lot of films in one period of time to tell a story, which sort of opened up a lot of new genres. Um, One is called Terror in the Idol. <laughs> that is not what it's called. Terror in the Idol. <laughs> it's also known as American Idol in the States. Yeah. No. Hey, it's been a while. We've been talking a while. And that was 1984. And it was clips of horror movies from the 1930s to the 1980s. So I thought as a young teenager, I loved kind of being introduced to a lot of these horror characters. <laughs> Craig is dying laughing on camera. What did I do? I pop a titty? Why are you laughing? Oh, I'm still laughing at Terror in the Idols. It's scary. Sounding. <laughs> and, yeah. So Terror in the Isles. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good and i think it's on youtube um there's another and, notable film around that time called terror in the files it was sort of a haunted office setting someone filed out of order yeah. um nightmare on elm street mm-hmm. i think we've rather, i think we've mentioned nightmare yeah, on elm. really have to like really stop there um, okay the, I'm, I'm done. the second one's way scary <laughs> Freddy's revenge. <laughs> what are we still in the 80s? Or- yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, there's more. There's yeah. more to talk about. There's yeah. uh, got some stuff about the 80s. Yeah, I mean, the Joe Dante's Gremlins in 84 inspired some other, like, little monster movies like uh, Ghoulies and Critters. I saw Critters at the theater. Or thought- as they call it, because it's sort of, they looked at how popular this was and how do we make it palpable to kids yeah <laughs> palpable to kids <laughs> how can we make horror for kids <laughs> exactly well no how can they open up the market instead of being mm. so niche, how do they make it you know look at gremlins i mean everybody saw gremlins and it's a horror movie so there's mm-hmm. a way to 
Gremlins and Ghostbusters came out the same year too. Oh, yeah. Still a genre that people should not have been avoiding. I mean, if you're telling me they're opening it up, by the way, there's a chorus is in Gremlins. Oh yeah, there there was a lot of placement in Gremlins. I think there was a Honda helmet. There was Coke, Coors beer. uh, Start seeing where it's. I don't know. Being promoted differently. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I should also touch on uh, as far as filmmakers go during the seventies and eighties. Was David Cronenberg came out of uh, Canada? He made a lot of really interesting films uh, that dealt with body horror and hmm. mad scientist themes, hmm. like uh, Rabbit and uh, The Dead Zone was an adaptation of the Stephen King book in eighty three. Hmm. Videodrome. Have you seen that one, Eric? Uh uh-uh. uh oh, No man. idea. That is a trippy movie. James Woods and Deborah Harry from uh, Blondie are in that one. Hmm. And uh, he did a remake of The Fly in 86 with Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. Yes, 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 yes. Um, I think, gosh, Jeff Goldblum in The Fly is probably one of his more iconic roles, I would think. And that's one of his early films, right? Yeah, I think his first credited role was in Death Wish, the original Death Wish in the oh, 70s. okay. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was a leading role and obviously a major role for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so David Cronenberg, yeah, he's done a ton of great horror films, and he started in the uh, in the mid seventies with with those. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. <laughs> so, well, while we have this little right here, I just want to say we are at an hour. Yeah. Okay. So when we will split this, I don't know, but uh, that's what I'm wondering is. I th- maybe we split it. So, but we're not quite done yet with the eighties. No, the eighties, mm-hmm. and then I'll end it, and then we'll start over for part two. Okay. okay. Yes. All right. So, a couple other more, a couple other landmark films in the eighties before we leave that decade is uh, Aliens, sci-fi horror, nineteen eighty-six, James Cameron. I should also know James Cameron's first film was Piranha 2, The Spawning. So he got his start <laughs> as well. Which I believe, I actually think he may have been fired off of that film for Roger Corman as well. That's so, so funny. Oh, yeah. yeah. He talked about that in a Titanic documentary. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, Predator was another big, uh, I don't know, sci-fi horror, action horror in a way. Um, Reanimator, uh, classic cult horror film in the mid-'80s. Also, Night of the Creeps, one of my personal favorites from the 80s. Mm-hmm. And uh, The Thing by John Carpenter. Uh, it wasn't Oh, the, yeah. Yeah, 82. Major cast, great cast. Kurt Russell is phenomenal. But it wasn't a big hit at the time, and it really grew over uh, the years with video and cable and stuff. And, and great practical effects in that movie. Oh, yeah. They're still amazing today. Yeah. You know what? You just touched upon something that I think is really important to mention with the genre in the eighties, mm-hmm. uh, two technological advances, uh, cable TV mm-hmm. and VHS and everyone having a, you know, VCR and video rental. I think that was the, again, that perfect storm of fun movies. And when you watch horror on your TV, it's a very different experience than when you, you know, watch that in a the theater. So sure. I, were two things that really 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 helped the genre when did the ring come out with like the vhs and like the girl coming out of the tv what what year was that 90s late 90s was that it no the ring was 2002 oh the original 
the original I thought was in the, the late nineties, the uh, Japanese film. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Um, but we'll dive into that on part two. So wrapping up the eighties, mm-hmm. I just want to add a really strange one is the seventh sign with mm-hmm. Demi Moore. And I think anything with, you know, good versus evil, and you saw that trend with Satan. It was really interesting to have Jesus in a movie. <laughs> you know, like, you know, that kind of like a, a prophet. It was interesting. I thought kind of like counterbalance. Mm-hmm. And then one of the scariest fucking things I've ever seen in my life is Pet Cemetery, 1989. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's the sister who lives in that room with the bent spine. Who would go, uh... she go, Rachel, scary as fuck is all i have to say did you see the remake they did of that yeah the one they just did like a yeah how how did that compare to the original um they did a little twist where instead of the son dies the girl dies it was pretty much the same okay spoilers when i now i don't need to see it thanks dad (laughs) i do like jason clark he was an everest um but it was meh um, anything to add to the 80s while we wrap up part one? Just a lot of great titles. I think there was a lot of great titles across the decades we touched on that if anyone out there is a fan of horror and you haven't seen some of those, definitely check them out. Yeah, 80s had to have been the explosion of modern horror for sure. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting, as, as we touched upon a little bit earlier, is it's also sort of when we look at brand integration and product placement, and still there's not a lot of brands in these movies it's really like it's they don't jump out at you um so it's interesting so brands were sort of staying clear of that yeah all right well gentlemen woo Crazy. <laughs> I'm fucking talking for you i've literally been on planes with you for 14 hours and i don't think you talk that much i'm very proud of you you've really grown as a person mm, not not really yeah i <laughs> have it at all in any capacity uh-uh. yeah. wow so, I'm hungry and tired, and I'm Daphne. <laughs> Wait, and you are? And you are? And you are? <laughs> Who are you, guy in the t-shirt? I am Craig. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, right. Well. And Eric, thanks for joining us as well. As you always. You know, <laughs> so, you know, helping Craig talk. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna yeah. check out that. I want to go check out that movie Terror and the Idols. I really want to see what that's about. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> okay. you know, thank you for listening to Entertainment Marketing Confidential. If you want to email us, our emails info at Entertainment Marketing Confidential. If you yeah, rate us on iTunes, we've got five five star ratings. Let's hear it. Let's get some more. Damn. Follow Wait. us on Instagram. One for each star. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, until next time.